Thanks, Van, Jesse, and Melody, and Brad. <clears throat> That's wonderful. If, uh, my name is Ross. Uh, it, I get to serve here as family pastor, and it's, uh, I'm excited about jumping into God's Word with you. We're going to be continuing our uh, series in the Psalms uh, our, over the summer, Psalm series. And uh, we've been looking at, uh, over the last uh, several weeks, we've been looking at different types of psalms that are in the book of Psalms. And uh, um, we've been looking at psalms of petitions or quests. We've been looking at psalms of lament. We've been looking at royal psalms. We've been looking at wisdom psalms. All these different types of psalms. And today we're going to be coming to a, a, a new group of psalms called imprecatory psalms. And that's an interesting word. That's not a word that I use uh, imprecatory is not a u- word that I use very often in my everyday speech, uh, <clears throat> but we're going to be looking at what what the, what these uh, mean, and uh, and and we'll 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 jump into that in in just a minute. So if you have your Bibles with with you, you can turn to Psalm Psalm fifty eight right now. The words will also be on the screen in a minute. Uh, but I want us to think about justice for a second. Justice is a, is a word that comes up, uh, that's in our culture and our uh, society a lot lately. Our, our, our nation, either politic, uh, politically and culturally, whether it be race or an election or whatever, we care deeply about justice. And our culture is in a tumult over the idea of justice. Justice is elusive, really, in a lot of ways. We can't seem to figure out how to do things the right way. We can't see how to uh, figure out how to do, how to judge justly, right? We know this in our, uh, we see this in, in the globe, we see this in our nation, we see it in our communities, but we even see it in our own homes. So just, just an example, uh, I have two, two boys. One is a little over two, one is about 10 months, and uh, a common, a somewhat regular occurrence in our home is for a Lego block to be, or a, or a wood block, uh, to be picked up by the two-year-old and thrown across the room and hit, and it will hit the ten-month-old, his ten-month-old brother in the head. Okay, so that that happens. We play Legos a lot, but he does that. And he'll throw the Lego block. So in that moment, as a dad, it's I have a responsibility to bring justice to a situation when there's been an injustice done, right? A two-year-old has been oppressing this 10-month-old uh, kid. And I have to uh, d- determine a couple things. One, like, uh, what should the consequence of that action be? Like, uh, how, hard, how, how hard should I come down? How often, how many times, uh, and how often should I implement a consequence? What kind uh, should, a, should a, a consequence should that be? I, I have to decide that. Right? Uh, and I also have to determine motive in that situation, which is, by definition, I mean, it's impossible to do. It's impossible for humans to 100%, with 100% accuracy, determine motive in, in a situation. So was that, was my, was my two-year-old son, Micah, was he doing that as like a willful, blatant act of vengeance, like trying to get back at, uh, at his brother? Or was it just an accident? Was he trying to share the block? What, like, what, what was his motive in throwing that block, right? I, and I, and that, and and knowing, trying to, determining Micah's motive in that moment determines what kind of consequences, what justice looks like. Maybe it's just, you know, hey, you know, redirecting or something, and maybe it's something more serious. Uh, so we have to determine what, uh, so justice, it's hard, even in just as, a, that's like the most basic, you know, uh, situation in human life. And you see how justice is a really difficult thing 
to grasp. Now, when we magnify that on, onto the scale of our, our communities or our state or our nation or our, our globe, like, you can see justice is incredibly difficult. It's elusive for us. It's above our pay grade as humans. Yet at the same time, Scripture, if, we're, if, we're, if, we're, if, we're, if we follow Jesus and we, we take Scripture uh, uh, authoritatively, Scripture is very clear that we are to pursue justice passionately. Right? We're not to let the guilty go unpunished, and we are to work toward establishing systems in which the weak and the vulnerable can be restored to dignity and freedom, right? and, and equality under the law. Right? So how do you and I, as fallen, as broken uh, men and women uh, in a sinful world, respond to injustice? Right? Our, kids, this, our world is filled with injustice, oppression, and abuse. Kids are throwing blocks at each other all over the place in our society. How do we respond rightly? And in our psalm for today, Psalm 58, and really all the imprecatory psalms, that if you've been following along with our reading plan, we've been reading one of these psalms every day. Our psalm for today, Psalm 58, is a psalm that, as an imprecatory psalm, it calls for imprecations, or that's a word that, that's a big word that just means curses. Curses to be called down upon the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people. Okay, and uh, these psalms contain some of the most passionate and confusing language in all of Scripture. Uh, but at the center of these confusing, passionate, almost it seems at times hate-filled psalms, is the concept of justice. David and the other psalm writers cry out for justice to be done in a world where injustice seems to be running rampant. And so they force us to ask the question today, where do we find justice? How do we achieve justice? And how should you and I live when our world seems to be completely devoid of justice. So this psalm, Psalm 58, can be divided into, into three sections. Okay, The first of five verses we'll read, we see David describe the nature of injustice, particularly the nature of the injustice that he faces, but really it's all injustice. Then in verses 6 through 9, he cries out for God to act justly. And then in verses 10 through 11, we see the righteous response to justice. The righteous response to justice, okay? So, let me pray for us, and then, and then we'll jump in and read the first few verses of this psalm. Let me pray. Father, you are a just and a good God. Teach our hearts to long for your justice, your righteousness, and your goodness, your fairness, and your equity, Teach our hearts to long for those things in, uh, in a way that we don't currently. Expand our heart and our soul's capacity to want what you want and to pursue it uh, passionately. Lord, even now as we come to your word, would your word comfort where we need to be comforted? Would your word challenge and inspire us where we need to be challenged? And would your word convict us where we need to be convicted? ways that we fall short. Uh, we, we believe in your spirit, and so we pray that your spirit would, uh, would accompany the preaching of your gospel to change us even now 
in our seats and change me as I speak. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Just one more uh, full disclosure. I have a, a nagging cough, okay, so, uh, that I've been trying to get over the last week. So if I uh, have to pause and drink a sip of tea or something and cough into my microphone, just forgive me. But uh, hopefully it won't disrupt this too much. But <clears throat> so let me read uh, Psalm 58, verses 1 through 5. Psalm 58, verses 1 through 5. David writes, Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? No, in your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ears, ears so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. Okay, so David starts off here by addressing his enemies directly. Okay, he, he, he addresses these men called, that he calls gods, okay, uh, which are really just, uh, um, it's, it's probably a better to translate that word as leaders or rulers. Uh, the, the ESV translates it as gods, and that's a, it's a really great translation, but here they probably are not super helpful. Most translations translate that word as rulers or, or leaders. And basically, uh, what, what he's describing are these men who are at the highest level of Israelite Society. So these are the judges. These are the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. And David here is writing as king. So these are men that serve kind of alongside him or under him. Um, and they're serving as judges. They're serving as, as representative leaders. They might be princes. Maybe even some of these are relatives of David serving in the palace himself. And he's attacking them. He says, do you really judge justly? And he's, the implication is, no, you're not judging justly. These are the highest men at the highest level of, of Israelite society. But notice... Um, uh, and, and, but the, uh, um, and but they become crooked and corrupt, right? They care more about advancing their own status and their own wealth than they do about advancing equality and fairness. So, and they deal out uh, violence. And that's the, that's the Hebrew word Hamas, okay? And you may, that, that word might sound familiar to you. It's a, the name of a terrorist organization uh, today in the Middle East. Hamas, it's, it's a, it's a little, it's, it just means violence, or literally it's, it's a described of a, of a, a it's a describes a, a destructive force, okay? So these men at the highest level of society are using their uh, position and power to tear down and to, uh, to oppress the children of man. And this corruption, this violence, and this oppression has crept into the systems, that is the court systems, the court, and the institutions of the nation, Okay? This is literally, in its most basic sense, I'm about to use a trigger word, but it, it's, a, or a, not, maybe not a trigger word, but a, a politically charged word. This is literally, in its most basic sense, systemic oppression, okay, what's going on here that David is, is, uh, is describing. It's violence that had rotten through the court systems and the political structures of the day, okay? So David faces corruption at the highest level of, of society, but he also faces it at the lowest level of the human heart. Did you, did you see the way it was described in verse 2, he says, in your hearts you devise wrongs. So that is, that's the Hebrew word for the core of who they are. At the core of who they are, they are, they are coming up with new and creative ways to oppress people. Okay? It just flows out of them naturally. Okay? And then um, 
But then, uh, 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 and this behavior, this oppressive behavior has been confirmed over and over again. So he says it poetically in verse 3. He says they have been estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth. In other words, over their whole lives, they have been marked by a pattern of going their own way, of alienating themselves from the people that they're supposed to care about and lead. Uh, They're isolating themselves from the the good society and and turning inward towards self-worship and advancement. So he calls them like a snake. Or, a, or an animal that refuses to be tamed by its master, okay? Uh, and uh, basically, they're just cats, right? Cats cannot be cha- tamed. They're the worst kind of animal in the world. Uh, and that's what, these peop- that's, that's what these evil people are like, okay? They, they're too arrogant to submit or change. It's ingrained deeply in them. So this is the nature of injustice in David's day. It's highest level of society, but it's ingrained deeply in the core of every, uh, at, the, at the human Heart. And in many ways, you and I can relate to this situation and the, the nature of this injustice. We live in a very politically divided period in our nation right now. But, if there's, but whether you're on the left, left politically or whether you're on the right politically, one thing that you can agree on basically, we all tend to think that there are, that there are people who exercise a lot of power and authority who are basically corrupt, incompetent, or selfish, Right? Both sides of the political spectrum believe that. There's people in charge that shouldn't be in charge, okay? And that's what we can all, all agree on. So we can I, I agree with David, uh, who, who's pointing his finger, who's calling out injustice, saying, are you really judging justly, right? But if we're honest, Psalm 58 is not just a portrait of evil. Psalm 58 is a mirror that we stare into. This psalm is not talking so much about evil men out there somewhere. There is injustice much closer. Look at Romans 3 with me. Romans 3 is, is, written, is in the New Testament. It's written by the Apostle Paul. And he's making an argument here about the gospel, about the nature of the gospel. And, uh, and, uh, and he, what he does is in making this argument, he's, he quotes a lot of old, other Old Testament passages, a lot of psalms. It doesn't quote Psalm 58, our passage, directly, but it sounds a lot like uh, Psalm 58. It's the same kind of heart. So let's read what Paul says here. He says, We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, that's basically what his way of saying, all of humanity uh, are under sin. As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is on their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Did you notice how similar Romans 3 sounds and the, passage, the psalms and the other passages that Paul quotes sounds to our psalm, Psalm 58, right? And what's Saul, Paul's point here? It's that all humanity is under sin. All humanity is equally corrupted and unjust. We are a long way off. Each one of us in this room are a long way off from ever being able to claim anything like real righteousness or justice. Injustice affects every level of our society from the inside out, from the core of who we are. So the question for us as Christians is not, who can I point a finger at and cry injustice, injustice? 
The question for us is, or, or, or the job in, in, instead for us is to look into the mirror of Psalm 58 and of Romans 3 and ask, am I judging uprightly? Am I judging justly? We've all been given spheres of influence, uh, <clears throat> whether it be in, uh, you might have authority or influence in your workplace. You might have authority or influence in your home or, or with your extended family. You might have uh, authority uh, or influence or, or, uh, in, here at the church or in another ministry or in some other sphere of life. With the people that you lead, with the people that you interact with, the people that you influence, would, would they, what would they say of you? Would they say of you, this is a person who, who is impartial. This is a person who refuses to show favoritism or to treat others on the basis of what they can gain or lose, depending on how they treat that person. Can people trust you to, to treat others with blind fairness? If we want to be people who pursue justice, we must be first be people who pursue it in our own lives, in our own hearts. <clears throat> but maybe you're here and you, can see, and you see this passage from a different perspective. Maybe you're like David, unlike the people of Israel, who have been deeply wronged and treated unjustly over and over again. How do we pursue justice from this perspective? Well, that's exactly where David goes next in, the, in verses 6 through 9. Here we see David cry out for a just action. Let's read verses 6 through 9 now. Let me take a sip of this. David writes, <clears throat> Oh God, break the teeth in their mouths. He's speaking of those, those judges, those rulers of the earth. Break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O oh Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun, sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. So David wants God to do some pretty violent things here. It's, it's kind of abrasive and shocking to us. All right, he says, break their teeth, tear out their fangs, take away their life like a child who's never been born. We live in a world that's been, in a lot of ways, sanitized from the violence that David describes here. So it can be hard to see things from his perspective, right? Why would you talk that way? How could you talk, want that for another person? But, if, uh, but here's the principle that we need to remember when we read Psalm 58. In order to truly understand God's justice in Psalm 58, we must lay aside the advantage of our perspective and understand the vulnerability and the oppression which David faced. If we're going to truly understand God's justice. We must lay aside the advantage of our own perspective, uh, the perspective of, of those who have been, uh, who are not in David's shoes and who, have been in a, who are in a culture that's utterly different from David's. We must lay aside those advantages and understand the vulnerability and the oppression which David faced. Okay. So, and in order for us to do that, I think there's, there's two things that we need to remember. Firstly, David here, he's not being, and, and, and wanting this to happen to his enemies, he's, he's not being quick-tempered or rash, right? That's the problem. We assume, whenever we see a display of anger or violence, we assume that's what's happening because that's 99.9% .9 of the time that is what's happening. It's a quick-tempered, rash, unjustified anger 
or violence, right? We, it's like Elmer Fudd getting angry at, at Bugs Bunny or something. That's what we assume when we see our human, our human anger. But that's not what David is doing. Remember, his enemies have proven over a long period of time that they were unwilling and unable to relent of their violence, right? This is not just like a one-time thing. This is a lifetime pattern of abuse and oppression, okay, that David is facing, okay? But secondly, we have to remember that David and his people were extremely vulnerable people. They did not have the option to appeal a court decision. So, like, if they were in a case against a wealthy landowner, and these judges, and, and the wealthy landowner just wanted to bribe the judge, who, the people that David's talking about here, um, then, then you were done, right? You had no recourse. You had nothing you could do to fight, right? Because the, because the judge is only in it for their own selves. You were done. Your family was done. You had no way to provide for yourself. You were completely Done. These, these, so David here, he's writing uh, with his back against the wall. And he's writing on behalf of a people who have been broken down to their knees. Okay? That's the situation. That's, a, that's something that many of us, most of us in this room, have the privilege of never having ever experienced anything like before. Okay? So that's, that's David's perspective as he writes. Several years ago, uh, my, sister, my older sister Heidi and I, we were backpacking. And we, it was just the two of us, and we were backpacking. We hiked in, and we set up our tent next to a lake. And it was a great, great time. We were having a lot of fun. It was a, a sunny weekend, uh, just, like, just like this weekend. And we set up our tent. We were eating a little bit of uh, dinner. And then when we were done eating, we, looked, we both looked up, and we saw this massive brown bear walk out of the woods uh, and just start circling our tent. And immediately, my, our adrenaline, adrenaline is just going through the roof. We're freaking out. We're, like, we don't, uh, we're trying to figure out all our options and know what, what, know, know what we're supposed to do. Uh, we're, we start yelling, trying to scare, this, uh, scare the bear away. We try to get as big, you know, and you try to do what they, they tell you. Get as big as possible and be loud. Try to scare this bear away. It's having none of it. Like, it just looks at us and kind of just keeps circling us. It, it does not phase us for us. It does not phase this bear for a second, right? I don't have a handgun on me. All I have is uh, all I have is pepper spray, and I'm looking at this 600-pound brown bear uh, and yelling, and it's not doing anything. It's not intimidated by me at all. Uh, and at that moment, I felt as vulnerable as I had ever felt in my entire life. I had I had nothing, right? Okay, I mean, uh, especially if the pepper spray failed, right? I'm looking at this thing. It's not scared of me. I'm terrified of it. I am completely vulnerable. That is more akin to the situation that David finds himself in. He's facing an animal and an enemy that he has no ability to defend himself against. And thankfully for us, you know, the bear just kind of, after circling us for a little bit, just kind of wandered back into the woods and eventually our adrenaline kind of went down uh, a little bit and we got some sleep that night. But, but, uh, But that's what, that's, not what happened to David oftentimes, right? It's not like he, uh, the, the, his enemies just peacefully wandered away in the woods and disappeared for him, right? Uh, he didn't have that luxury. He was, his back was against the wall. And I remember thinking at that moment, uh, uh, there is literally nothing I wouldn't do to protect myself in this moment. Now, normally... Uh, I would never want to harm a, a brown bear, especially not violently or gruesomely, right? They're beautiful, majestic animals, right? 
But at that moment, if, I, if it came to it, I would do whatever it would take to protect my, myself and my sister from that. Like, I mean, I'm not a, I, I don't have any martial arts skills, but if, if I could summon them, I would do whatever it would take to defend myself from this bear. I, I mean, and it, I would, it would be as bloody as, as, I, as it needed to be in order to protect myself, right? Because my life def depended on it, right? Uh, and in the same way, I think that's, that's, that's kind of what motivates David to talk the way he, he wants to talk, the way, the way he talks in this poem. But at the same time, if you look at these verses carefully, um, it's really not the, like a gruesome torture scene like it maybe sounds at first glance. Like this, David, you know, he's, he's saying tear out their fangs and break their teeth, but this is not like a sadistic dentist, you know, doing weird stuff to his patients, right? This is, this is he, he, what he's asking God to do is to do whatever it takes to remove these powerful people's ability to do further harm, okay? That's what David is crying out to, to have done. Do whatever it takes, God, to remove these people's ability to do further harm to innocent people, okay? Um, that's what, that's what he's, he's, he's asking to have done. And this is an important aspect of God's justice that we need to remember, okay? So God's justice in the Bible is always, uh, or God, God is, uh, God, one aspect of God's justice is, is that it's retributive. So that, in other words, it renders the consequences, it renders the guilt, guilty people the consequences that they deserve for doing what they've done, right? It's just, it, the guilty do not go unpunished under God's system, right? Uh, but at the same time, it is also restorative justice. God is working to, uh, and what I mean by that is, uh, God is working to restore the dignity and the, the, the freedom and the worth of the vulnerable the, and the oppressed, okay? So this, and this has God's, been God's heart throughout all of the Bible, right? That's why the law, the Old Testament laws, are incredibly concerned about protecting the rights of the vulnerable and protecting the rights of the immigrant, protecting the rights of, of the oppressed, right? Uh, because... Uh, because it's, it's, uh, God's justice is restorative. He wants to restore these people to, an e to have equal opportunity, equal access to freedom, dignity, and worth. Okay? And so when the Old Testament prophets come along, they're constantly harping at the people of God to say, uh, stop oppressing. Put systems in place and people in place to restore and protect the vulnerable the, the minority and the immigrant, okay? That's what God's justice does. It's restorative justice and it's retributive justice. And so what David is crying out here to have happen is, God, would you do whatever it takes to restore the vulnerable, innocent, oppressed people in my kingdom that I've been charged to care for and lead? Would you do whatever it takes to restore them to dignity and, and enable them to flourish, okay? Uh, give them, under the law, equal opportunity to flourish, Okay, that's what David is crying out to have happen, whatever it takes. And it's something we see really throughout Scripture. So we've seen thus far this morning that because of the nature of our injustice as a race, we need to judge justly. We need a judge who judges justly. And we need a judge whose justice is both retributive, the guilty get the consequences they deserve, and it's restorative and restorative justice, okay? So the question then is, how are you and I supposed to live in light of the way that David prays in these prayers? What difference is it supposed to make in our lives? 
And I'm going to say there's three things. What is the righteous response to God's justice? There's, there's three things. I've kind of boiled it down to two. But firstly, the sovereign justice of God should cause us to forgive our enemies. Okay? I'll explain what I mean because that sounds a little contrary to what we see in this passage. But the sovereign justice of God should cause us to forgive our enemies. The faithful justice of God, the fact that we can bank on God being justice over the long haul, the faithful justice of God should cause us to hope and pray deeply. Okay? So we should, we're called to hope, pray, and forgive. Hope, pray, and forgive. Those are the three, three things from this psalm. Um, firstly, hope. This, this psalm pushes us to hope. Let's read the final two verses of Psalm 58. David writes, the righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance, that is, when he sees justice being done. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Okay, so with these two last verses, David, what he's doing here is he's launching us into the future. He's, he's portraying future events in which God's justice will finally be satisfied. And what he says is that there will literally be a bloodbath. And again, this sounds gruesome. But I want to make the case that David is not being sadistic or vindictive. David is simply saying that the blood of the wicked poured out onto the ground when, when the oppressed, righteous people of God see the blood of the wicked poured on the ground, it will signify an end of violence. It will signify the end of oppression. It will signify the end of injustice. And if this scene makes you uncomfortable, (coughs) (coughs) it makes me very uncomfortable. If it makes you uncomfortable, I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing to be made uncomfortable by this. Because our culture and our society... Uh, claims to hate oppression. We claim to hate injustice. We claim to hate corruption. But the amount of blood in this passage proves that we don't actually love and delight injustice as much as we should. And honestly, if you're, if you, you might be here thinking, "Well, this is like Old Testament stuff. This is like God of wrath, God of." you know, fury and rage. In the New Testament, Jesus came. He died on the cross. He said, love your enemies. So on the New Testament, it's all grace, and we don't have to worry about this. Actually, if you read the New Testament carefully, there's a whole lot more blood in the New Testament than there is in the Old Testament. Uh, <clears throat> uh, so we, we, we stand here waiting for a day, a day when Christ will come as king and as judge to set things right. And when God judges on earth, there's going to be a lot that we don't understand. There's a lot. That I, don't, I don't understand why this verse is here. Right? I, I don't want this verse to be there. I, I, there's going to be a lot that we don't understand. But we will all say, we will all confess that God's justice will be good and it will be right. Every way in which you and I have sought to advance ourselves at the expense of another Every way in which we have been, uh, uh, we have been wronged and, the, and that injustice has been done to us, every injustice will be exposed and it will be set right. Every tear wiped away, justice will be overwhelmingly satisfied. 
And when this justice is satisfied, this world will be set right. This world will be as it is, was meant to be. There will be no wrong, corrupted thing in this world. Later uh, in the service, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper together. <clears throat> That's like, uh, it's a, a, a meal or a token of a meal, a symbol of a meal that we'll be taking. And this is a symbolic act. It's meant to prepare us for the great wedding feast at the end of uh, when Christ returns. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. When Christ returns and he's united to his bride. And there will be a great feast of celebration. And the meal that we're going to take in in a few minutes is a symbol of that. It's, It's a foretaste of that. But what we often neglect about this feast is that it's actually a celebration of God's justice. So in Revelation 19, Revelation 19 is where the, the marriage supper of the, the Lamb is described. And, it, uh, uh, and it's where we, uh, the, the taste of what we get when we celebrate uh, communion is, is described here. And John tells us that there's a vast multitude of, in heaven that's praising God. And this is what they say. This is what the vast multitude of heaven are praising God for at the marriage supper of the Lamb. They say this, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just. And then in the next paragraph they say, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Uh, For the marriage of, of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we hope for the day when God's justice will reign. And the meal that we will take is a celebration of that final display of God's righteous justice. But this hope that we hope for has been made secure because a lamb was slaughtered for our sake. And when Jesus, who is the just judge, was killed, he took on the penalty for every wrong we have ever committed and for every injustice ever done against us. On the cross, when Jesus died and was hung and had nails driven through his hands, and uh, on the cross, God's justice was satisfied. And so we cling to that justice with hope, waiting for the day when it's culminated and brought fully together. Okay? So we hope, that's the first thing. But secondly, we pray. One of the first questions that, I can, that, I, that we have to wrestle when we come to a prayer like this is, like this is a prayer, should we pray like this? Should we pray what David prays? Uh, like uh, Jesus tells us to, to love our enemies, to forgive those who persecute you, or to forgive your enemies, and to, and to pray for those who persecute you. It doesn't sound like David's doing that. So what are we to make of this? Well, first, we have to know that this is not the kind of prayer that we pray for our own personal enemies, okay? So if your boss or your mother-in-law or whatever is giving you a hard time this last week, you don't pray, God, break her teeth or whatever. Like, that, that's not, that's not the, the way we apply this, the, this prayer. Instead, this psalm teaches us to pray by praying for the ultimate display of God's justice. When's the last time you prayed that way? When's the last time you prayed, God, would your justice reign? Would you bring and set this world right so that no wrong thing is done, no, one is, no innocent person is oppressed or treated poorly? We pray for the ultimate display of God's justice. We have not and we cannot discern and execute real justice. God is our only hope. We can't do that as a nation. 
We can't do that as a world. We can't do that as a state or as a community. I can't even, as I said, I mean, I can't even do it in my own home, right? There's no way to, for us to do that. God must do it. And so we pray with David, whatever it takes, God, for your justice to be satisfied. And so here's how I think practically we can put it. As believers under the new covenant in Jesus, we can join with David in calling on God to satisfy his, just, his righteous judgment against blatant, persistent violence done against his people. So we can join with David in calling on God to satisfy his righteous judge, justice against blatant, persistent, and, and blatant and persistent violence done against his people. So we pray things like this. We pray, God, if that means that you must stop persecutors of your church in their tracks, would you break the teeth in their mouth? Would you violently remove their ability to do further harm? If that's what it takes, then let it be so. But if possible, God, would you satisfy your justice in another way? Would you stop them in their tracks with the message of the gospel? Would you grant them repentance and faith to see that in Jesus there's a new and better way of life? Would you allow God for, uh, for them to see that in Jesus' death the wrath of God has been satisfied and that he stands as the one who receives God's judgment in the place of all those who put their trust in him? So this is how we pray, even for those around the world right now who are blatantly, persistently persecuting followers of Jesus, right, today. So we pray. We pray for God's justice to come. But thirdly, we forgive. Notice David here in this psalm that we read, he never tells us that he's going to be the one to take action against the wicked, right? He's never going to be the one to execute justice. He's never going to be the one to take vengeance on the bad guys, right? Instead, he wants God to act. So these, he prays these prayers precisely because he is leaving justice in God's hands. That's why he can pray so passionately. And, he, uh, and, and, and this actually message, message, meshes really well with what Paul says in the New Testament. So look at Romans 12. Romans 12. Paul writes this. He says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. Isn't that what David is doing here? For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will keep burning coals on his head. You do, not, uh, do, not over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay? So this is what David is do- doing. David trusts the sovereign, faithful justice of God so much so that he can pray passionately for God's justice to be, doing, to be done. But it's precisely because he believes that justice is coming, because he believes in the goodness and the justice of God, that he can forbear and endure with those who are violently, blatantly oppressing innocent people. Right? John Piper, he puts it this way. He says, We can forbear and forgive our enemies precisely because we know there is justice. So where in your life have you grown bitter or weary because you know you've been treated unfairly or unjustly. Maybe that injustice has gone on for a long time. 
There is justice coming. But until it does, we can, like Peter says, entrust our souls to the one who judges justly. So as we think about and meditate on God's justice this week, let's, let's be pushed. Let's be pushed not to, uh, uh, not to anything, but to forgive, to hope, and to pray. Let me pray for us now. Father, you are a just judge. Teach, uh, would you cause the, the capacity of our souls, the capacity of our hearts to expand so that we might know and understand and yearn and long for your justice more fully? Lord, we pray that you would come and return quickly to establish a, a just, your just reign where every wrong will be undone. Every evil deed, every oppressive action, every corrupt uh, thing will be erased. Every tear wiped away. Teach us to trust your sovereign and your faithful justice. We pray this in Christ's name. <clears throat> Amen. As I, as I said uh, before we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper this uh, this morning, and so uh, what that means is that in a minute the band is going to play the next song, and what we're going to do is we're going to go back and uh, uh, pick up the, the elements that are on the on the back tables, um, and then so you'll we'll dismiss by rows here as the, as the band is playing. Um, <clears throat> we'll dismiss by rows, so the first row will go first, and you dismiss to your left, and then come up the opposite aisle. Um, as I said, this is a, we. We, we take this meal, it's a token. It's a cheap s- substitute, right, uh, for the real meal that we will taste. Um, but it's a, it's a family meal. So <clears throat> if, if you're not part of the family, if, 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 if you have uh, not trusted Jesus and are not f- following him as, 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 a, as a citizen of his kingdom, as part of his church, if you haven't followed Jesus in the waters of baptism, we just ask that you would refrain uh, from, from um, participating in this meal with us. That's totally okay. We expect that there's people here that won't take this meal with us, okay? We just, you just can just stay seated while we, uh, while we dismiss. And then after, we get the, we, after you get the elements, you'll come back to your seat, and we'll, um, after this, this next song, we'll, I'll come back up here, and we'll take, them, uh, we'll take these elements together as a symbol of our unity.